Well, hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Streamline Podcast. In today's episode, I have another very special thing to share with you. As mentioned, if you didn't catch the previous episode, I've been doing a lot of guest appearances on other people's podcasts. And as a result, they've actually come back and said that they are completely fine with me sharing the audio of those recordings with all of you on this podcast. So what you are going to hear from shortly, well, I could have worded that better. What you are going to hear shortly is my conversation on Adam Meckler's podcast. It is a, it is the Gig Boss podcast. And um, for those of you that are listening to this podcast on Spotify, you can actually watch the video in the app. Um, so we do have a video recording of the conversation. And on any other podcast app, you'll be able to listen to the audio as well, of course. Anyway, that's enough from me. I will catch you at the end of this and I will give you a few more details. Check the show notes for links as well. But this is my conversation with Adam Meckler from the Gig Boss podcast. I hope you enjoy. A lot of us use our email address to sign into multiple websites or even our cell phone number now that it would become so much work to ever have to change it. So if you have one of those contact methods for your fans, it's safe to say that you should always be able to stay in contact with them. Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name's Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. Today, we've got Mike Warner on the show. Mike is the author of Work Hard, Playlist Hard, a wonderful book about how to build listenership in a digital streaming age. And we're talking Spotify, we're talking Pandora, we're talking all kinds of other streaming platforms. Mike is now working over at Chartmetric, a great site for tracking your impact across all streaming platforms. It's a site that I recently signed up for. There's a seven-day trial. I'll report back and let you know how it goes. For now, here's my conversation with Mike Warner. Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk with me, man. Thank you, Adam. Pleasure to be here. We made it work in the end. (laughs) Made it work. Took a minute to get it together. Hey, man, it seems like you're everywhere. You work over at Chartmetric, a site meant to help artists track their engagement across all streaming platforms and social platforms as well. Your book, Work Hard, Playlist Hard, which I've got here and have been working through for a while is a comprehensive how-to on building a streaming presence. You're a consultant and a speaker, building artists' careers in the digital age, and you're an artist, right? You're an indie artist as well. So is being an artist your number one, or are you more passionate about decoding the streaming world for other artists? Yeah, it's definitely changed. Being an artist is a hobby for me now. I do it because I love it. Helping multiple artists is way more appealing to me nowadays. So that's why I've shifted focus and music isn't coming out as much. And I'm okay with that. I've accepted that because to me, it feels good to be able to help an endless, an infinite amount of artists as opposed to just helping myself and being selfish. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So did you find success applying your techniques in your own music early on? Like, how did you start to realize, oh, I'm, I can understand how this all works and I'm getting better at it and I, more people need to know this stuff? 
Yeah, it's, there was a point where a lot of artists, <clears throat> initially it was people that knew me, friends were starting to say, how did you get added to this playlist? How did you do this on this platform? You have these images, you have links to your concerts, little things like that. And I started just writing these really detailed notes and emailing them out. Sometimes it would just be a voice note as well. And then I realized that friends of friends and people that I didn't necessarily know were asking me and reaching out and I was really enjoying helping and getting a nice message back saying thank you as a result this happened cool and that's where I just really continued down that path I was like all of these things that I learned that I thought would only help the music that I was doing they can actually help a lot of other people as well just by sharing them so yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how much it's changed because originally the goal was live out of a suitcase, travel the world, play on big stages, yeah, uh, man. play to large crowds and, and have a great time, meet a lot of people. And now it's, I would rather just sit back and see all these other artists living their dream and just be able to celebrate for them. So yeah, bit a bit of a change in direction, but I love what I do now and have no regrets about it. And I still get to make music and put it out whenever I feel like it. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I'm curious. I want to get into the nitty gritty about Spotify and other streaming platforms, playlisting. So if I were just to ask, what's the best way to get your song placed on a Spotify playlist? What would you say? Yeah, the first most obvious one is pitching using the official pitch form that Spotify give you in Spotify for artists. If you're not doing that, you're missing pretty much every opportunity within the platform. Even if you had a direct connection with someone or your distributor was helping to pitch for you as well, or if you were with a label and they were helping to pitch, you still need to fill out that form. That is a way of essentially making it available in the system at Spotify so that someone can then go in there and listen to that pre-release and potentially place it somewhere. Um, without doing that, there's nothing that they can really do. So that is the most important. And I, a lot of artists will come to me and say, oh, I did it once or twice, but I didn't see any results. Hmm. And I say that there's a lot more to that than just potentially getting on a playlist on release day. You're actually populating that form with information that is attached to your release everywhere it goes within Spotify. So you're saying this song has these instruments, the vocals are in this language, here's the gender of the vocalist, here's where the song will most resonate with listeners, a particular city around the world, hmm. here's the moods that it fits within, the list goes on. And then what happens is even if that song doesn't go in a playlist immediately, it could end up in Discover Weekly 12 weeks later, one year later, two years later. And not only that, but a lot of people are listening to Spotify and other apps for that matter on just endless listening mode where you listen to a playlist or an artist and it just keeps playing music nonstop. Yeah. If you've populated that information, you're going to start appearing in front of more listeners there. And one thing I always say is with my group date night, which is myself and two friends back in Australia, and we still make music now as well. We've actually had more streams from discover weekly 
than we've had from the 19 editorial playlists that we've been added to since we put out music on Spotify. Over 1 million streams from Discover Weekly. And that it's the gift that keeps on giving because these are tracks that are older that are getting discovered by people, many people for the first time. So that's so interesting um, to me. I just read something. Somebody sent me this and they were like, are you familiar with this? And it was somebody said that new music has gone down in listenership on Spotify, but uh, what they call, oh man, I can't remember what they call it, but it's like recently released, but not new anymore. So it's 18 months old or older and it's within yep. 18 months to four years old. That music has gone up in listenership. So it's like, it's taking a year or two for some songs to ferment in the system. And then it's getting picked up what you're saying about discover weekly that and discover weekly. Is that like a, is that Spotify algorithmic or is that like, people who like and follow your page so that it shows up in their discover weekly it's algorithmic it's taking into consideration all of the information you've populated and then it is saying oh these people follow similar artists to you but they don't follow you yet or they most likely haven't heard your music before let's put okay. this in there and the great thing about it as you mentioned it's not brand new music but the first time someone hears your song it's new to them right. could be two years old but this person is just hearing it for the first time, experiencing it, and it's new and exciting to them. And that's one thing I'm really excited about is that hopefully we can move past this mentality that the day after a song is out, it's old news. And right. we're all hungry for what's next, what's new, and we can start enjoying and appreciating what's out there that maybe we haven't heard before. In you some know, ways, that's daunting too. It's almost yeah. like... I think about this with my YouTube channel. It's I'm up against the stuff that I've created, but I'm, I'm up against everything everyone's ever put on YouTube because it all lives there forever. And it's Spotify. You're up against... It's it's interesting though, man. If you get picked up on an editorial playlist and all of a sudden you have 2,000 monthly listeners or something when you had zero. So it's like all it takes is that one little thing to open up a whole world of listeners. But it's also you're, against, you're up against all the most famous artists in the history of the world because all their music is there. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it always shocks people when I say this, playlists shouldn't be your entire plan. You shouldn't be banking on getting on playlists. Follow these steps, fill out the submission forms that Spotify, Deezer, Amazon Music, and Gami, all platforms give you. Do those first and foremost. That is your best shot at the strongest playlists on that platform. But yeah, I certainly don't want an artist to release their song and then just assume that they filled out these forms and that's it. These are the most important things. If you haven't done these, you're missing so many opportunities. And the other thing is I just want artists to realize that this is a long-term play. By populating this correct information now, this will benefit your music ongoing on these platforms. So it's no longer just about day one growth and day one playlist ads and reaching lots of people this will help you long term and help you to grow and continue to grow so are is, is are people like spot i know spotify says like share and tag us on their socials are they looking at things outside of spotify if you get placed on a playlist they want you to share it and tag them and they see that and then it boosts your out like you in their algorithm is that any anything that, to be concerned about i definitely wouldn't be concerned about i, I think it's important to always say thank you whenever you get added because sometimes it is post in most cases actually i should say they will not be able to communicate with you and tell you that they've added you mm. some of the apps will notify you which is great but when you discover that 
even if you don't know directly who placed that song, just do a public post on social media and just say, hey, how cool is this? My new song was added to this Spotify playlist. Go check it out. Because those links are being monitored and it will be seen who shared that. There's, they certainly don't say you have to do this, yeah. but it's one of those things where I'm like, I want to share that good news regardless. I want people... And I want to direct people to that playlist because I want people that love my music to go there, hopefully discover some other artists on there as well. And I know they're going to listen to the song on that playlist, which benefits the artists, the other artists and Spotify, of course, as well, because people are listening to their own programming within the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So in your book, so your book, Work Hard, Playlist Hard, which is in the show notes, uh, linked in the show notes. You talk about playlist curation and you give some resources for creating playlists that will push to all or most streaming platforms as you update them. What's the underlying strategy to creating playlists as an artist trying to get your own music heard? Yeah. So I always tell artists the first playlist that you should create and most likely the first playlist you will ever be on is one you created yourself. Mm. And this doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden put on a curator hat and be a curator. You've got enough time that you're investing in other things. You should be investing majority of your time in creating music, getting better as a singer songwriter, as an artist, as a producer. But this first playlist, think of it like a catalog playlist, a discography playlist, or a best of. This is where you put your music and you control the song order you control what songs are in there and think of it like this a fan hears a song from you they go to your profile and they want to know more if you have a playlist right there at the top of the profile that you've curated that fan is likely to tap on that playlist press play and listen to the rest of your catalog ideally which means that one stream can turn into multiple streams not only that, but after a few songs, if you've won them over, they're likely to follow you and they're likely to then go to your profile, follow you on social media and start connecting with you on a deeper level than just liking your music on one platform. The reason why I say have these playlists available on all platforms is not everyone listens on the same music streaming platform. There's platforms right. all around the world. There's ones in other countries that if you're in the United States, you may not see your music in there. But if you were in Dubai, you would see it on a platform like Angami and, mm -hmm. or GeoSavan Geo in India. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that you need to have a subscription with these or anything like that. You just need to create a free account create a playlist and then there's these services that will allow you to synchronize one playlist let's say from spotify to multiple platforms so that anytime you change the song order you add a song in there remove a song that playlist will synchronize across all of those platforms and that way you're reaching fans regardless of where they listen and you've just expanded your reach significantly as a result and I always say you, you have one subscription maybe that you listen to music on yourself, but fans will listen where they want to listen. So just make sure that you have that playlist and you make it available everywhere you absolutely possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. So then using some kind of thing that pushes it everywhere is ideal because there are so many 
platforms now. I think there's so many platforms like trying to individually create playlists on each one would be like, what am I doing with my time here? Yeah, exactly. And nobody has time to do that. I tried to do that and I realized that there's just not enough time in the day. So these platforms that do it for you, just to drop the names, there's Song Shift, which is an app that you use on your phone. And there's Soundies, S-O-U-N-D-I-Z. I-Z, um, that's right. And Soundies is very comprehensive. You can get really detailed in it. You can have songs pulled in from multiple playlists into one. You can shuffle the order every day. You can do all these kind of crazy automations, or you can just simply use it to say, here is the primary playlist or the master playlist, if you will, replicate this playlist on all of these platforms. And it, it does the work for you. Cool. So I had a friend, I was just, I have this Facebook group surrounding this podcast and we talk about all these issues and somebody, somebody sent me a message and said, there are too many now there are too many playlists. It's it's getting watered down. It's getting too ridiculous. Everybody's making their own playlist, and it's not going to be a viable way of finding listeners soon. And then I have another friend who just wakes up every morning, and he like has his coffee in the morning, and he a emails playlist curators. He finds their images. You talk in your book about Google image search when you like use an image to find to try and find a curator somewhere. You talk about people registering with Spotify on Facebook, and so you can go to their maybe their Facebook profile, which my buddy has said he's done, and just. Send a message to somebody on Facebook. So his whole thing is, I don't care how big the playlist is. All I'm focusing on is my numbers increasing every month. So I'm just emailing everybody and just being like, hey, this is my song, whatever. I think it would fit well. I love your playlist. I think it would fit well. Which guy are you going to go have a beer with? Look, I'd be friends with both of them, but I would definitely be more aligned with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Be more aligned with the one that is actually reaching out. And it's easy to complain and to not be happy with the way things are in the music industry. And this can apply to multiple things. And sure, you can voice your opinion, but the reality is unless you're actually changing it, you just have to embrace the way it is and put in that work. Otherwise someone else is going to do that. Hmm. And with this, with there's too many playlists versus the person that is actually sending those emails one of them is going to actually see some increase in their reach and hopefully their numbers and other things. And the other one is probably just going to continue to keep saying that. And I, I would ask them, what are they doing with that time when they're not invested in sending those emails? I'm always open to learn, not to call them out or anything like that. It has different things they're comfortable doing and different strategies that work for them. But yeah. yeah, I'd be more aligned with the person that is doing the outreach and sending those emails. And especially if they're personalized emails, it's not just dropping them into MailChimp and doing an email blast out because that goes straight past the inbox. Yeah. In your book, you say something like if you once you've built up your own playlist, <clears throat> you could actually add someone else's song who maybe is an artist and also has a popular playlist you could add their song to your playlist and then email them and just say hey i added your song to my playlist and don't even say anything about yourself right it's more about flattering the other person i like that approach it's yeah. different than being like hey man i know you get a lot of these emails which is what you said in your book stop doing that yeah so like that's a fun i think that's a nice way of a uh, nice way of doing it yeah it's the whole approach is you're not asking for anything. You're just giving them good news. Yeah. But I, no one's going to get mad at that and no one's going to dismiss that. 
And it has to be genuine first and foremost, because if you add them to a playlist and there's songs in there and it's just a mess, then they're going to see that. So it has to be genuine because you have to think about the playlist for the listener as well as for the other people you place in there. And you have to help both sides. But if it is a good fit, it is a really good opportunity to deliver good news to them, probably go straight to the top of their DMs. And from there, strike up a conversation. I've seen artists do this. It's led to collaborations, performing together, even going on tour together. Like the opportunities are endless. And that playlist might drive a small number of streams, but that relationship you've made is going to drive so much more for you in the long term as well. Not only that, but it actually, for me, it's a lot of fun to do because Mm. you hear a song and you go, I love this. I'm going to put this on my playlist. I want everyone to hear it. I'm going to tell this artist. And most of the time you get a response relatively quickly and they're grateful and you can have a conversation with them versus I'd never send it like this, but I've seen DMs where it's just, hey, bro, hope you're well here's my new track, add it to your playlist. <laughs> Which playlist? How do you know I'm a bro? Do yeah. you call everyone bro? Yeah. You sent me a Spotify link, but I use Apple Music. All these different things. And it's okay. Whereas if I get a DM that's just, hey, Mike, I found your playlist and discovered a song on there. I make similar music, just wondering what would be the best way to share a song with you. Do you have a process I can follow? And uh, that approach I've found works so much better because I don't feel like I have to immediately do anything. I don't feel like that person is asking me and it gives me an opportunity to tell them I don't curate right now, or I prefer to get a direct message on this social media platform on a Saturday. That's when I listen to music. Yeah. That was extremely helpful for me because when I was doing that outreach, it is a reminder that there's a human being on the other side of that message and you don't know what's going on in their world, if it's a terrible time, if it's a good time. Not only that, but a lot of them, a lot of these independent curators, they have day jobs, they have families, they have other commitments and they do this because they love to do it. They do it in their spare time. So I started to develop a spreadsheet where I would just have a note day of the week, how they like to be reached out to. And I would just follow that process and not every song will be a hit with them and get placed, but they respect the fact that you follow that process. And if they tell you not to email them, you don't email them anymore. You direct message them. I feel like too, if you're talking artist to artist, something like a collab could maybe eventually manifest from a relationship like that too. If you end up having some kind of mutually beneficial relationship, then it's like, collaborations are so interesting to me and I've been really trying to be proactive about seeking out those sorts of things with artists that I'm that I've known for a long time and that I haven't worked with I'll be like hey why don't we do a track why don't we do a single and then we can list both of us as primary artists they've got a following on Spotify I've got a following on Spotify it shows up in both of our feeds what do you know about like collaborative things and how that helps push your tracks on on we're talking specifically about Spotify but I guess it could be anywhere yeah the way it's going for creators now and in this case we're referring to musicians as creators as well which they are yep is that uh, there's a lot of collaborative 
a, a lot of tools that allow for collaboration. If it's in social media, you can do a post on Instagram where it shows on both of your profiles and all of the likes and comments are merged into one post so that two artists can reach everyone together yeah. as opposed to doing separate posts. With a platform like Spotify, for example, you can have up to three main artists versus featured artists. And the difference there is everyone that is a main artist their followers will be notified that song will go into release radar for their followers as well so mm. if you have three artists with 500 followers each let's say there's some overlap between them you could still potentially reach 1000 people with that collaboration and it's not only that but each artist actually gets the opportunity to fill out their own pitch form in Spotify i was gonna ask that as well. yeah yeah and it, it's just as long as you are all aligned as far as the genre that you fall within and your sound, I don't see any concern with it. And the only time I've seen some really strange results is if you have someone that makes house music and they collaborate with someone that just does country music or folk music. Mm. I'm sure it's a cool song, but the audience for the other artists may not be as interested in hearing house music constantly yeah. being suggested to them now. But if you've got two people that fall within the same genre, I, I've definitely seen it. The clever way of growing that audience for both artists and it's another way of saying this is almost a partnership on this track we're both in this mm. and we're both pushing it out to our audiences as opposed to if you did a song and it was featuring me it would be people would have to scroll down on my profile to dig for it and it wouldn't be pushed to them as as heavily i think main artists is and collaborations is an extremely good way of reaching more people Cool. In uh, in your book, I think it's the dude from Disco Fries that writes this. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look. It's on page 135. Yeah, it's Nick Dietrich from yep. from Disco Fries. They've got like a million monthly listeners on Spotify. He talks about so this is like marketing advice. He says if you think you're, you're of yourself as a creator, or if you think of yourself as the center of your own universe brand, all roads should travel back to you. Think of your social presence as your tentacles. So people, uh, so bring people back to whatever your main focus is, whether that's a track, a merch drop, a live activation. I struggle with this personally, being an artist that makes disparate styles of music. So you referenced this a little bit in your last comment. I, I have like big band jazz albums. I have small group jazz albums. I have like pop music where I'm like singing and writing songs. And right now I've decided I'm just going to release Before I was releasing under different names. It just seems like why am I doing that? I'm building followings in different places and it's not all, and it's a lot of people want to just listen to my stuff, whether, whatever it is, people that follow me, but I've got, you've got this podcast. I've got this app that we've developed. That's like a organizational tool for freelance musicians that we're trying to promote. So is there any hope for somebody like me who's trying to promote so many different things where it's, I'm not, I can send people to a link tree, but I'm not yeah. really sending people to a central, this is my one single peace out it's here's my single here's my podcast here's my big band here's my new trio here's my whatever it's like a little ridiculous yeah it's a challenging one because we could be connected on instagram but not on other platforms okay. and things like that and what i'm seeing now is a lot of artists are starting to recognize the importance of owning everyone oh, owning is a strong word but having everyone's contact details as far as email addresses or mm. phone numbers because 
let's put it this way. A lot of us use our email address to sign into multiple websites or even our cell phone number now that it would become so much work to ever have to change it. So if you have one of those contact methods for your fans, it's safe to say that you should always be able to stay in contact with them and let them know about new things. And yeah, I think especially during the pandemic, people started to realize that there's a lot more to an artist than just great music. There's other talents there. There's other things that we can learn about them. Some of my favorite artists, I, some of my favorite musicians, I didn't realize were incredible artists as well, as far as drawing, painting and all of these things. And it's, if you are a fan or you consider yourself a super fan, you want to know these extra things about that person. Right. If people really love your music they're interested in you they're invested in you they want to know about your podcast they want to know about the other things that you do so i think email and and phone numbers are extremely important to have because if these platforms shut down you can still reach everyone and tell them where else they can find you at that point and a website is always important it, it may not get the highest amount of traffic but it's always going to be the top search result for your name in Google and other platforms. And you want to have that to be able to direct people to everything that you do. And then I really like those link trees. I'll be honest, I'd be so stoked if I could just have a QR code and a link tree for everything I do. And just, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the website is still very important and it's like a home. It's like what Nick said, everything has to lead somewhere. They have a website which has all of the details about the things they do because it's not just their music. They go live on Twitch twice per week. They have their own record label. They've been dropping a bunch of NFTs. There's all these different things that they're doing and they want everyone to go to that. So that's how they bring everyone directly there. Yeah, yeah. so that's their central location. Even though they're doing a lot of different things, that's their central location. Exactly. And it's a lot easier in a video to say, go to discofries.com to get this or go to discofries.com to see the, as opposed to even go to the link in bio because then people have to scroll down to the exact thing in that menu that they're looking for. And I've seen some crazy ones where people, there's someone is a, there was a blogger and they said, oh, check out my latest article link in bio and i had to scroll what felt like endlessly to actually find that link yeah whereas a web a website i could quickly type it in and search as well it, it can get a bit much especially if you wear many hats and the other thing i've seen is i've seen people actually have multiple link trees for the different things they do for me with date night with our music we have one that links to all of the dsps all of the streaming platforms and then for me, separate to that, there's one that links to the book, the audio book and the workshop on YouTube and all of that. But there's a mailing list for date night and yeah. there's a mailing list for DJs where we send the send out the extended mixes of the tracks. And then there's a mailing list for me where it's a weekly newsletter <clears throat> about things in the music industry. And then if something happens to date night on social media or me on social media there's still a way to reach everyone yeah and you'll have to send me the subscribe link for your newsletter that sounds like something our listeners would like and we can throw that in the show notes as well sure yeah i think about this a lot with artistry and being an artist i think probably in a business sense it's best to focus on one thing but i think as artists we're not a monolith we're not one thing and 
I, like, I grew up for me personally is I'm a I'm known as a jazz trumpet player but like my first instrument was guitar and I played in a rock band and wrote songs and I still write a lot of songs on guitar and piano where I'm like singing and writing lyrics and that was something that I didn't focus on for a long time but now it's like I really want to explore that side of my artistry because now I'm like a I don't know if I, like a legit multi-instrumentalist is the right term but like I play a lot of bass I play a lot of drums I play keyboards guitar trumpet and I sing and now I have the skills to record all that stuff which I didn't those are skills I didn't have seven years ago. And so it's tough, man, as an artist to be like, I'm only going to make, if I only made big band jazz and was like, I'm just going to niche out super hard on big band jazz and I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way, which is different than the way other people do it. That would probably be a better option, <laughs> but it's, I still want to explore these other things. I like the idea of the yeah central location where all that stuff can live or even separate. Hey, this is me as a entrepreneur. This is me as a jazz artist. This is me as a pop artist, perhaps three different link trees or something. But yeah, it seems like a difficult, I know from experience, a difficult landscape to navigate. Yeah. And the other good thing about it is you can have one social media profile and people aren't just seeing constant posts about your new track they're seeing other things that you're doing as well Um, so they're along for the journey i took me a long time to learn this but i was like man why are these people unfollowing me i thought we were friends and then i realized i I went back and i looked and i'm like gig the gig poster artwork clip the same 15 second clip of the song and i'm like there's really nothing here like the, for them yeah. to still need to be connected to me. I'm not updating them on anything else that I'm doing. And I've seen that with a lot of artists where, you know, most of the time when I just connect with them and I tell them and I just say, have a look at your feed and just imagine if one of your friends just posted this exact same artwork constantly or a flyer for every gig they do you're stoked for them. You're happy, but you're going to want to start to see less of that in your feed and Yeah, that's why it's important. We wear multiple hats. We have other skills. We have other passions. Share that as much as you're comfortable as well. Yeah, cool. Streaming, is streaming a viable income source? Or will it always be, will it always need to be supplemented with other things? If you can get to a place where you've got a million monthly listeners, maybe you've got 20, I don't know, million streams in a year. That seems like a a huge mountain to climb is this a viable solution for artists you literally wrote the book on playlisting and you yourself have a day gig at chart metric right well is this is this viable i see it like being a contractor you could have a really good month where you get paid a lot of money and then you could be living on two minute noodles for the next two months until you get another nice paycheck Nothing wrong with two-minute noodles. I love them, by the way. Been there. But they're good. They're good for the price, for sure. But one thing that I've been saying lately, which a lot of people, some people get shocked by, is I say that I definitely don't look at streaming as your main source of income. And I feel like if you do look at it that way, you're basically setting yourself up that music is going to become work for you. Every song you write, you're now going to be thinking about, will this fit in a playlist? Where can this go on streaming? And you're sucking all the fun out of it 
if that happens, you may as well just get a day job. Sure. Is that like, bad though? Like, is that bad? I, I was just talking with somebody about this. Beethoven had benefactors and patrons. Uh, Galileo had patrons. They had to flatter their patrons. They had to go out of their way to make shit up. They would make, Galileo would make shit up about, they go, oh, and look at the stars tonight. This means that the king is anointed and it's, he would just make shit up to, to flatter his patrons. So that's part of the gig maybe i don't know man like i i'm also like i want to be staunchly artistic pure in that way but also man we gotta get our shit heard yeah totally so what i do is i encourage artists to look at it differently look at having your music on streaming as a way to help reach more people look at it as marketing if you will the same way that you post about it on social media just go okay it's on these streaming platforms this is a way to reach more people and spread the word but if you're not saying okay i'm relying on streaming to really blow up so i can make good money from this instead of that you go i'm putting it out on streaming but i'm going to focus on merch and touring and all of these other things yeah it's interesting because what happens is the streaming will get a boost as a result from everything else that you're doing but if you do it the other way i've just seen people that have just decided i'm going to make exactly what i think they're looking for streaming and they're miserable yeah okay you could make a full-time income making music but if you're not making music you enjoy you may as well just be sitting at a desk doing something else and make music you love on the weekend. Sure. I, that For those artists, that's when I've said, look, don't look at it as an income source. Look at it as a marketing, a place that you can market your music. And yes, you get a little bit of money from it, but just think outside of that box. And the artists that have done that have really succeeded because they've realized, okay, what else do I enjoy doing? How else can I connect with fans? And they started focusing on live streaming and they found their super fans really quickly. And everyone always talks about these magic numbers, 100 or 1000 true fans that really love you will buy merch multiple times per year, will buy tickets to see you would subscribe to you on patreon or another platform would do all of these things and that allows you to do exactly what you want to do without needing to worry about having to get to 1 million monthly listeners on spotify which as we know could translate to a full-time income but could drop the next month just as quickly whereas it's hard to imagine that if you had 1000 true fans that all of a sudden they're all going to disappear yeah, yeah, overnight yeah. unless you did something crazy and yeah it's very unlikely you've mentioned twitch a whole bunch of times i feel like we should talk about it i've yeah. heard some crazy numbers about twitch and how like there are people making twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year streaming on Twitch with maybe an average of a hundred or 150 people watching their streams i've heard stats that like engagement is much higher and much longer on a site like Twitch than on a place like Facebook or Instagram where people are just scrolling through. They listen to three seconds of your thing or 10 seconds of your thing and they scroll by. Twitch, people are staying there for extended periods of time. I think average, I don't want to guess, but average time of listening was much, much higher than on streaming or on social platforms. So what's your experience with Twitch and how do you feel artists fit into that? Yeah, Twitch is a comfortable place. It's if you went to a friend's house every Friday night and listened to music and maybe had a drink, partied, but you can do it without leaving your house. And so there's people that are showing up every week and 
that's how they celebrate their Friday night, Saturday night, and they they get to connect with this person, and, and they're more than happy to throw some money at the screen for the entertainment. I it's weird, but once you start to realize what times people go live, oh okay. Friday night, Liquid Todd is going to be on. I love the music he plays. I'll be sitting, I'll be in the lounge room and instead of watching a TV series for the fifth time or a movie, I'll put it on Twitch. And it's that whole excitement of it being live as well. You type in the comments and the person will actually speak to you directly on camera and acknowledge you. That doesn't happen at a concert or at a nightclub. It's not like at the end of the song, an artist is going to stop and go... Hey, Adam, good to see you. How's how's everything going? How's the new gig? This and that. They can't do that, but on Twitch they can. So you've got the mix of you're entertaining, but you're also including everyone, building a community and having a conversation on there. And that's what keeps people coming back. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go watch the same live concert every Friday or the same DJ play a similar set. It's so much more than that. And that's why some people have really excelled on there and realized, you know what, I can do this from home. I don't really care to go out and travel, especially in the last few years. A lot of people are going to continue doing it. And what's great is I've seen a number of people that have done it that have then used that as leverage and booked festivals. They've played on big stages at festivals because of the following they build on Twitch. That's cool. Which has then translated to social media. That festival was taken notice and went, this person can hold a large audience's attention on a Friday night for hours. Let's get them on the stage. I'm so, all, I always admire yeah. the artists that have done a good job of turning internet presence in whatever form, social media, Spotify, Twitch, into ticket sales at live shows. I think that's a really admirable feat. And it really makes all of it worth it. It makes it like, hey, now I can play. Somebody I've played with a bunch in the past is Corey Wong, and he's just totally destroying. And he did his thing, like he really built his thing up on the internet on social media platforms doing like comedic he started with green screen stuff and then he started doing comedy bits and now he's like playing these massive festivals all over the world selling all these tickets he's really translated that those likes and follows into ticket sales yeah exactly and it's not just ticket sales either it's merch and things like that as well i've had a number of artists that have said oh i don't feel comfortable expecting people to buy something from me so i just don't make it available i don't put it out and then i say think about it the other way people love the feeling of making a purchase they love the feeling of getting something in most cases now it it gets delivered to their doorstep yep and they're happy to part with that money and not only that but they love your music and what you do so much that they're going to wear that t-shirt. Like they're wearing an advertisement for you that they paid for. Most of the time they will actually reach out and thank the artist. They'll be like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for my t-shirt. And it's like, you just paid for it. Yeah. And it's the same with CDs, vinyl, even cassette tapes. Cassette tapes had to come back during the pandemic. And the reality is, I don't have a cassette player. I could go and find one on eBay, but I you just buy them because you love the feeling of making that transaction. And then you have something that is now a piece of art. Right? For me, I have records, I have CDs. I love to look at them and hold them and read the liner notes. 
I don't have a device to play them on. My car doesn't have a CD player anymore. Yeah. But I still feel good about making that purchase and love being able to read the liner notes and to physically have that. And I'm always grateful when the artists put their music out on all of these mediums because as a true lover of that artist, I can actually own something and have that collector's item. Definitely for any artist that's thinking, oh, I don't want to put something out that's going to cost my fans money. Look at it the other way, put out something that your fans actually want and they're going to appreciate and they're probably even going to thank you for making it available. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. So the, uh, I want to, yeah, I've got a few questions left, but I know we're, we've been talking a long time. Let's talk a little bit about background music services. In your book, you talk a little bit about background music services. You, you say, imagine standing in a store and seeing somebody, your song blast on the radio, and somebody t- pulls out Shazam and then, so, wait, what song is this? Do you have to be specifically like curating your song to those things? Or is it just like you send a message to these da- various different databases asking for their submission process and then just submit whatever you have? Yeah, in most cases, it's just reaching out via the general contact form and letting them know that you're an artist. What I found interesting is, okay, you have to lead with just one track and you have to let them know what you're about, where it might fit. And then if you get a bite, if they're interested, the next question they will say is, can you give us your entire catalog and a spreadsheet with each release and the ISRC for each release and all those details? And then what they do is most of them will do a licensing deal, not a licensing deal to the level of a record label, but just we need to be able to have permission to play your song across all of these stores that we program music for. As a result, we will pay you a royalty based on those plays. They need that permission before they can move ahead. And they don't, I'll be honest, it's not a lot of money, but it is a lot of reach. Yeah, cool. And they don't own your tracks, right? It's not like you're. No, they just have permission to play them. Basically, it's just if you set your track to radio, you've basically said you have permission to play this on the radio and then you collect your royalties from that. Yeah. In this case, they will pay the, in most cases, they will pay the royalties directly to you. But yeah, they don't own the masters or the publishing. And if anyone ever tried that, definitely do not sign. But I haven't seen anyone trying to do that for a background music service. Yeah. They just need permission, basically. Cool. But yeah, it's great reach. When we first did it with Dates Nights, I sent just a cold email to Mood Media, which provides background music around the world to a, a number of stores in the US, Saxon on Fifth Ave, Macy's. And it was interesting because we got a response and then we gave the link to download our catalog, just a Dropbox link and the spreadsheet. And then a few months later, someone that collaborated with us that played bass on one of our tracks, he was at the Nike store in Tokyo. And he said, dude, you know that track I play bass on? I'm in the Nike store right now and it's playing. And it's okay. This isn't like my parents thinking they heard a song I made. This is, no, this guy knows the song. This is legit. Yeah. And he took a video as well because he was stoked. And That's awesome. I ended up reaching out to the person at Mood Media and I said, look, I know you can't tell me all of your customer base, but can you just tell me if this was you? And they go, yes, we do program music for that store. And it was crazy because I was like, I wonder how many people are hearing it there. So then I went to, at the time, Shazam for Art, which is now part of Apple Music for Artists. Okay. 
and I was able to see hundreds of Shazams over multiple days that week in wow. that exact location on the map. And I was like, damn, we're getting, we're getting played in this store. And then as a result, a friend of mine, his artist name is Stonebridge. He had, no, he still has a show. At the time it was called Head Candy Japan and now it's called HKJ. But I sent him the track and just said, look, this is doing really well on Shazam in, in Tokyo. Yeah, and you know, specifically from this store, probably other stores. And he ended up programming it, opening his show with it on there. And then that led to even more things. So it was like cool. that one little pitch, getting it into the background music, getting it into a store, using that information from Shazam to then pitch it for more opportunities in that location. It's just crazy the way it works. And being able to effectively use that like i know i work in a music analytics company but i'm not like a crazy data numbers guy like i know they're important but i also know they're overwhelming yeah and time consuming in this case i just looked at the map looked at the number and went someone needs to know about that because that can lead to more opportunities. And if we wanted to go on tour at that time, we probably could have used that to, to book a gig. We could have showed the radio programming, the Shazams. And obviously our listeners went up in that location on platforms like Spotify as well. So yep, we knew yep. that it was translating to other locations. Well, I think that's a cool thing about data and looking at Spotify for artists, like you can see exactly what city people are streaming your music from. So if you find that you have a huge following somewhere, so you can start to, you can put tickets, you can put shows on your Spotify profile page, ticket sales, you can put merch sales on there or things that you're selling. So yeah, you can really capitalize on that, turn it into a tour, turn it into a show or continue to target that area, build in that area. I think it's pretty cool. Does chart metrics show you that across all platforms? Does it show you like specific location where people are streaming from? In some cases, yes. There's definitely more location based for social media, whereas the platforms themselves like they have their own tools where they go even deeper for you. So I know we just mentioned Apple Music, but it's a good example. Apple Music for artists, when you log into the app, it will show you a map and it will show you your listeners and it will show you, you, you can work out really cool things like, okay, we have a large amount of listeners in this tiny little town let's see if there's a venue there that we could play at because we know that people that are based in that specific location have been listening and then from that you can even go further and see what is the most popular song in that location because it can change and i've seen artists that have gone okay we're playing our first ever show here if we get out there and the crowd is just not really feeling it we're going to open with that song because we know that majority of people here know that song that's their favorite yep. on the other side they go there and there's a crazy crowd already having a great time they save that song till the very last song so people stick around till the end yeah and a lot of the platforms are starting to give more of this really detailed location-based information obviously they're not going to tell you the person's name or address or anything but they're going to say this is where people are listening which is extremely helpful especially for routing a tour yeah totally so what do you think about maybe wrap it up and talk about the future i'm pretty interested in web3 technology i had matt mazurka on the show who's one of the co-founders of sound.xyz which is like a, the kind of package up nfts to make them like a limited run of vinyl almost and they really heavily curate who what bands come on and so they really screen people that are applying for their platform do you, i feel like there are streaming companies coming web3 tech streaming companies that are coming that are maybe more user-centric models where 
if you stream somebody, the money goes directly from you to the artist, which is not currently how it's set up on most streaming platforms. Do you feel like all the giants fall, right? Like the giants yeah. eventually fall. So do you feel like this is coming as a different and more widely used way of streaming music in the future? Yeah, I don't really go deep into conversations about it, not because I'm dismissing it by any means. I just, I look at it and I go, there are so many people doing great things in that space. I'm happy to see that and watch and see what happens. And slowly I'll start to invest more time in there. But I love seeing people win and I love seeing the community that's building. It's very rare and I haven't seen it on this level before where you can go in there as a complete noob and people will just happily welcome you with open arms and show you. And it's like everyone in there wants to win and they want to win together. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't I don't see any competition, which is really nice. I love the fact that there's less things between the person getting paid as well and cut out the middlemen, if you will. Yep. I see a lot of opportunity there. I think the challenge is going to be simplifying it and making it less intimidating for everyone. Totally. I got my first NFT recently. I know we mentioned Nick from the Disco Fries before. He was able to convince me to go and participate and I got an nft and i looked at it and i sent him the image and i was like did i just get my first nft and he's <laughs> like yeah and then uh, there was like this uh, package like wrapped up like trading cards and i'm like do i open it or you can hold it and it could appreciate in value and someone could try and buy it from you later and no matter when that happens that transaction they get a cut of that and yeah like, which is so cool man yeah I'm like, this is cool because one of the challenges a lot of people have had with creating music when multiple people are involved is splits and making sure that everyone gets their cut. And with the potential to not have to put that responsibility on one person to collect all of that and distribute it, it's amazing. And then the opportunity for fans to potentially invest in, in a song or even an, an artist overall, I, that that's really exciting to me. So... Yeah, it's something that oh, I'm sure I'm going to be talking about more in the future. But for right now, I'm just, I'm very happy sitting back, watching people win and taking notes and learning about it. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because some people have asked me if I'm against it or if I'm not interested in it. And I'm like, that's definitely not the case. I'm just sticking with what I know for now because there's so many people out there that are putting out really helpful, good information. I need to learn and take notes myself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing too. Well, that's great, man. Is there anything that you're working on right now that our listeners should keep an eye out for? Yeah, what's I've just trying been trying to put out as much as I can. I basically I just have to get it out of my head. And you know, I, I'll be honest, the day job pays the bills. So people always ask me, do you have anything to sell? And I'm like, the book is free. You can go and download the PDF. I posted a link on LinkedIn where you can just click download and grab it. It's awesome. Um, the podcast, the blog, the workshop on my YouTube channel, all of that, it's all free. The events I speak at, I don't charge a speaker's fee. Uh, obviously, if they have a budget and they want me, then sure. But yeah, I'd just say if you enjoy what I'm putting out, share it with someone else and I'll continue doing it. I just like using my spare time to give back and put this information out because it's something I wish I had access to when I was starting as an independent artist. And that's why I appreciate people like yourself as well for just putting all of this good, valuable, helpful information out as well. Let's just 
let's keep helping each other. Yeah, man, that's what I'm about. Let's get everybody succeeding. The book, Work Hard, Play List Hard. He's offering it for free PDF download. Go get it. I was just placed on my first editorial Spotify playlist. I read this book first. All right. Nice. It was a big win, man. I felt like a big win. I've been talking to a lot of people about it, too, and I was just, like, trying to follow everything everybody said and everything, all the things you talk about in the book. Man, it felt like a big win. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Mike Warner. Remember, join the Gig Boss community at the Gig Boss Podcast Facebook page. The link is in the description. We debrief all of these episodes. We talk through the various different things that I learn in these conversations. You can grab the Gig Boss app on iOS or Android. It's totally free. It's a way for you to organize your freelance music career. If you're a band leader, it's a huge helpful tool. There's lots more features coming. If you're really wanting to dig deep and learn more, you can join Ari's Take Academy. We've got a deal with Ari's Take Academy where you can take classes on how to navigate TikTok on how to do ads on Facebook and Instagram if you're a musician, on sync licensing and all kinds of other valuable stuff that musicians need to know and are not taught in music school. You can get 10% off any of the courses you purchase there by entering the code GIGBOSS, G-I-G-B-O-S-S. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. This has been a really fun process making this show, and I am excited for what's coming. And that was my conversation with Adam Meckler as part of the Gig Boss podcast. Now, as mentioned, this was uploaded with permission directly from Adam Meckler. If you enjoyed what you heard, I highly suggest you go and subscribe to the Gig Boss podcast. There's a lot of great conversations on there, and the goal of the podcast is to help musicians learn how to navigate the new music economy. He speaks directly with artists on how they can build their careers and also with industry pros on how to navigate streaming, social media, sync licensing, booking gigs, routing tours, and so much more. The Gig Boss Podcast. Go and check it out. Links are in the notes for this episode. And as always, thank you so much for you. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic day. See you in the next episode.